This week, Robin interviews Ray Cornwall, who talks about Comicsgate. We celebrate the intersection of Black History Month and Women's History Month by talking about some amazing black women. All this and more on The Leftscape! Robin Renee, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley. Hi, I'm Wendy Sheridan, and uh, we're wrapping up February. Uh, today is uh, National Polar Bear Day, so go enjoy the National Polar Bears while they're still existing, because I know they're, they're on the endangered list, and I, I love those guys. They're not afraid of us, and I like that about them. <laughs> Um, and uh, on the last day of uh, the month, the 28th, is Metamore Day. And I'm going to have to ask Robin about that because I don't know what that is. Sure. Uh, Metamore is the partner of your partner in, oh. a, in a polyamorous relationship. And lots of people have you know, various kinds of connections with their metamores. They could sort of have a family style poly where they're friends or they hang out with them once in a while or just connect with them about uh, you know scheduling or something like that <laughs> but it's a day it was just started by the National Coalition of Sexual Freedom for the first Metamore Day um, this year and it's just a day to celebrate that connection with your metamores whatever that is that's cool that's yeah. cool so we're sort of transitioning into March on this show because they it runs all week and uh, March is National Women's History Month so uh, we're going to be, I guess, talking this month in March about stuff pertaining to that. And uh, the first week of March is also Will Eisner Week. And that is to um, for appreciation of Will Eisner, who's uh, a comic genius, basically. Uh, he was really big in the 40s and 50s. He did a, a comic series called The Spirit. Um, and I noticed the way he does his W's is like exactly the same as Walt Disney. And I'm, I find that interesting and I keep wanting to do a little research to see if there's a connection, but, uh, he you, was, there's not a connection. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I, I would just suspect it's pretty obvious, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, he wrote a, a bunch of books about how to create comics and how to do sequential storytelling, which is what a comic book or a graphic novel is. And uh, I've been, as, I, as I'm as a budding uh, comic book creator, I've been, you know, living in his books for, for months now. So I, uh, I really appreciate the guy. Um, and there's a, a comics award named after him too. That's how big in the industry he is. Um, and on the fourth is National Grammar Day. Oh, so, everything should be National Grammar Day. <laughs> <laughs> so just make sure you're using your colons and semicolons properly. Yes, and it's and it's and it's March fourth because that is the only date that actually sounds like a sentence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that works. And on the fifth is Absinthe Day, um, and I guess you can't really get actual absinthe anymore. Or, or or what? I don't know. I've never drunk it, so oh, I've, I've had something that was called it, but I think it's not the authentic recipe. I think it needs wormwood or something that it doesn't contain or can't contain in the U.S. Something like that. Uh, apparently, there's something poisonous. Well, yeah, most of the well, it's like all of the all of the hallucinogenic hallucinogenic mushrooms are also listed as poisonous in all of the uh, all of the books about mushrooms. Mm. So, right. <laughs> are you saying that you mean that they're not really poisonous, but they just tell us that? I well, I don't know. Have you? Uh, <laughs> it doesn't kill you immediately like some other mushrooms will. So I don't know. Well, any, anything in a large amount would be poisonous. That's true. Yeah. So, uh, mm. who do we have on deck for birthdays this week? Who are we uh, mentioning? 
Uh, okay, well, March 1st is uh, Lupita Nyong'o, amazing actress. Uh, her Indeed. birthday is March 1st. Uh, Dr. Seuss, Theodore Geisel on the 2nd, and also Karen Carpenter. On the 4th, we have the birthday of Chaz Bono and uh, Anne Sabah. Anne is a friend of mine, also was a guest uh, who talked about uh, HSP, highly sensitive persons, and um, being a life coach in that mode. So that was uh, so just happy birthday to Anne. And I think you have some birthdays to yeah. mention, Wendy. I would like to give a shout out uh, to my son, Mike, whose birthday is on the 2nd. And my granddaughter, Gianna, whose birthday is on the 3rd. Um, I am not convinced they listen to this podcast, but <laughs> in case they do, or someone else in the family does, I don't think anybody in my family listens to this, so who knows. But anyway, happy birthday, Mike and Gianna. So in news, 16 states have sued our president over his, his bullshit state of emergency. Um, and I think one of you guys know who, which states uh, <laughs> are suing. California, New York, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, uh, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, Oregon, and Virginia. Yeah, I think those are all the yeah. Democratic governor states. Yeah, Democratic governors, but one, Maryland. Yeah. Who's a attorney general is Democrat. <laughs> okay. I'm looking at New York Times, but there are more states that have Democratic governors, so I'm surprised huh. that not, there's like 23 states that have Democratic okay. So where where's that other seven? I don't know. Or maybe they figured 13 was enough or 16 was enough. I don't know. Um, no, no. I think we're going to have a lot of development around this kind of how to deal with his, these sort of orders or that are just not legal or not reasonable. So this is going to be an interesting, uh, yeah. interesting start and we'll see what happens. Well, it, it is. It's cause it, I mean, it's, it's like what he was sing songing in his ridiculous press conference. Cause it's going to go through the courts and then, and I guess he's figuring out that since the courts stacked for him, that, uh, that they're going to all do what he wants and, and not, remove that power from the executive. Oh. Oh, and and Clarence Thomas might be retiring? When? I oh, just I heard that, that this morning. Oh, oh please don't do that to me now. Mm. <laughs> I need to have a decent weekend. <laughs> yeah, wow. that, that's a little scary. Mm. A lot scary. Yeah, that won't be good. I'm, I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping the conservative or the liberal judges uh, like sit on him and make him wait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they all have to be cryogenically preserved. I mean, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is, you know, she's like dealing, you know, she's had I don't know how many times she's had to be treated for cancer and the broken ribs and all this other stuff. And she it doesn't slow her down at all. And she's She's not retiring while he's in office. So, yeah. you know, uh, my Kickstarter got funded. Yay. <laughs> All right. I'm so happy about that. That's great. Yeah, that's I'm, good. I'm over the moon. You guys, if you, if you, if you listened and also backed my Kickstarter, you're awesome. If you're just listening, you are also awesome, but just slightly less awesome than the <laughs> ones that backed the, the project. <laughs> Um, I'm having a lot of fun designing the cards, uh, and I'll talk about it. So then, what happens? Well, oh, I was going to ask you what happens yeah. now. Uh, I have you, to finish designing the cards. I think I, I see the money from the campaign in another week or so, and then I will hopefully have everything designed by then. So when I get my money, I can pay the printer to have everything printed, and then I send everything out, and we're done. Okay, so, and then you're not going to make more? After that, I make I my initial print run is fairly large. I'm printing a yeah. thousand of each card, so uh, I will have twelve thousand cards. Oh, so then uh, you can sell more. I will be selling some. I will be donating some to indivisible groups. It'll you know we'll see how it goes. Um, Great. And and uh, Robin, you were at the protests about 
Trump's lovely emergency uh, declaration. Yes, yes. There were a lot of uh, President's Day protests all around the country uh, about the lack of emergency that we were, <laughs> we're experiencing on the border with Mexico. And um, I was just really glad to see pictures from everywhere, some friends in different cities and, and just the, uh, the overall um, coverage of it. And I was at a protest by uh, Cooper River Indivisible. And mm. in South Jersey. And it was cool. You know, sometimes I think I like to go to the bigger cities, Philadelphia and New York, and sort of be part of the big events. And I think it's really valuable to do this kind of work in smaller communities as well and be visible. So um, I'm really happy to have taken part in that. And not to put pressure on our elected officials to shut this national emergency down. Doesn't know they have the power to do that because a bipartisan congressional override of this can happen. And lovely listeners, we love you all, and we'd love to hear from you. So post your comments on our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And please go to iTunes or wherever you go to get your podcasts and give us a five-star review. We really need those reviews and that would help us out a lot. Thanks a lot. I am here with Ray Cornwall on The Leftscape. Um, Woo-hoo! Hi, Ray. Finally, I am finally onto the mothership, the Leftscape, <laughs> the greatest left-leaning podcast that I know of. I am so excited to be on the Leftscape. Are you serious? Thank you. Yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. Well, I know Ray. I know you. Um, well, I mean, for, mostly because you are the former co-host of my favorite podcast. This is like the. Uh, <laughs> The, um, what do you call it? Mutual Admiration Society um, <laughs> podcast, which I really loved. Um, Thank you. Glenn, who was your co-host. And um, Glenn is dearly missed. Um, Glenn Walker was the co-host. And if we're going to be fully honest about it, the man who did all the hard work behind setting up the GAR podcast. Uh, Glenn sadly passed away about a little over a year ago. And his he is he was truly one of the nicest grumpiest people you could ever meet that's um, exact that's a great description <laughs> <laughs> and when i say grumpy you know there are people that are grumpy and they're mean he was just grumpy just to just to be grumpy but you know it's like it's like if you ran into oscar the grouch you'd still give oscar a hug glenn was the human equivalent of oscar the grouch and uh i miss him every day uh i am i am so glad that i had the time that i had with him i'm so glad that i got to work on projects like gar with him and on a couple other things and Man, we're just all living in his shadow. Yeah, so. absolutely. So your that podcast, um, you talked a lot about comics and wrestling and Prince. Those were the things I can think of as you. That's, as your... pretty, that's pretty much what what, uh, what we covered, comics, wrestling, and Prince. <laughs> right. So. And so what else would you like to, how else would you want to describe yourself and what you do? Well, in terms of Gar, the way I would describe it, it really was about two friends who really enjoyed talking to each other and getting each other's opinions on things. And I think that a podcast, that sort of podcast, is is so much fun to listen to, and it was so much fun to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would do that again in a heartbeat if I found the right person. Glenn also did a lot of the the behind-the-scenes hard work, uh, promoting the podcast, getting guests for us, uh, getting people involved in comics, and... You know, if you have the chance to do a podcast, you should do it because the work involved in terms of the technology and the costs are really not that great. And as long as you have the enthusiasm for who you're talking to, it's so much fun and it's so rewarding. Um, As for who I am, I am technically what you call a business analyst. I colloquially would call myself a geek for hire. Um, (laughs) I I work in various industries using uh, my wits and skills and gorgeous good looks, not really, to <laughs> to advance my customers' gains. And in my spare time, I read a lot of comics. I am the husband to a wonderful library director, Ms. C.L. Quillen, who's the director of the Spotswood Public Library. Uh, I am trying badly to learn how to play bass guitar with the help of Bill Merritt, 
over at um, uh, the Tom's River Music School on uh, in, on Brick Boulevard, and I'd recommend them highly, even though I stink. Um, <laughs> and basically, you know, it's, it's actually interesting when you ask like who I'm, who I am. I actually took a personality test recently uh, on five thirty eight dot com, and it oh, came wow. out I had two incredibly high scores, like top two percent of the population, in both creativity and negative emotions. And I think that pretty much sums me up pretty well. So <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of like, it's like, Oh really? But it's like, yeah, I guess so. So maybe you should be like a death metal person. Or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's interesting. Do anything wow. for death lock. What can I tell you? <laughs> right. So I was um, following your Twitter account and you were tweeting about, uh, I believe it's hashtag Comicsgate. There are two hashtags because they have damaged the one comment, uh, hashtag so badly, they've tried to minimize the damage by setting up a second and yet third uh, hashtag. It is called Comicsgate. The, this is a movement. The best way I can put it, it's a movement of alt-right people who tangentially are interested in comics, but really are interested in both putting down women and transgender people that are involved in making comics and lining their own pockets as they do it. And it, I, I first found them when they were going after a creator. Um, she's a trans creator. Her name is Magdalene Visaggio. She's one of the absolute most talented comic book writers you'd ever see. Her work has been nominated for Eisner's, which is the highest uh, award you can get in the American comics industry. And they just would sit there and attack her and say some of the most horrific things I'd ever see people say, strictly on the basis of she was transgender. Mm-hmm. Um, and just for people who are clueless about comics, which would be me, what um, what are some of her comics or what is she most known for? Um, she's most known for, uh, well, I've known her for a number of different series. Um, Eternity Girl, which is published by DC Comics, uh, which was a spinoff series of um, a number of books under the Young Animal imprint. Uh, that's a book that's getting some very significant award season uh, books. It's a, it's a book about uh, identity and and loss and, and that frustrating uh, situation. She has a book, Sex, De- Sex Death, and Revolution, which mm. I think is a fantastic comic book. She's got a long-term series she's done with Black Mask called Kim and Kim, in which they're lesbian bounty hunters taking on the universe. Um, <laughs> nice. She she has a, a, a great Twitter at Mags DeSaggio. Uh, I think anybody who's interested in... And she's very open about her life. Um, you know, not just about writing comics, but she's also open about going through her transition. Um, she recently was talking, I mean, she's very open about things in her life. She, she was recently talking about going through vocal transition surgery, which was something mm. that usually doesn't get talked a lot about in uh, people mm-hmm. who are transitioning. Mm-hmm. Um, really fascinating person. And I, as somebody who likes to learn about different people, I was, I really enjoyed following her account, but I also found it just absolutely gobsmacking that people would just attack her and say some of the most horrific things of all just because not only was she writing comics but she was writing comics with the viewpoint of someone that was transitioning mm-hmm. um and some of the na- I- i'm almost hesitant to say some of the stuff that that I, I i've heard but stuff that was just absolutely crazy and so i started really finding out well, what is this movement and so Comicsgate is is a movement of people that will tell you that they are upset about the state of the American comics industry. I mean, that's okay. I've been upset about the American comics industry at different times. The American comics industry is primarily dominated by Marvel and DC, um, but there are other publishers and there's a lot of other um, great work that comes out. Um, They're mostly sold in comic book stores and the nature of the economic setup for comic book stores sometimes makes it hard for newer creator creative works to really break out and get commercial success. Mm-hmm. Sounds like music business or yeah, of, I mean, let's, kind of things. let's face it. The media business in 2019 is very challenging. Uh, any business right now mm-hmm. that involves creativity is very challenging. 
Um, and the comics industry has, has mirrored what every, everything else is that's going on. Um, mm-hmm. Sales last year were of single issues were up a bit in the direct market, which is what we tend to call the comic book industry. We call it the it's the the retail stores are usually known as the direct market because that's how comics are sold. They're sold uh, directly from publisher to store with an intermediary called Diamond Comics, which is a monopoly that handles all of the distribution uh, in America. Um, graphic novel sales were down about eight percent. We're, we're down a few percentage points. Um, I forget if it was. I think it was two percent. Mm-hmm. Um, but but single issues were up a little bit, but nobody really made a lot of money. We've seen uh, comic book stores that have been around for a long period of time start to close. There was there's been a number of notable closures. Um, there's a, f- a very well known uh, store in Lower Manhattan that's about to close. Mm-hmm. Um, Saint Mark's, I think, is the name of it. Oh um, no, I didn't know that. Wow. Y- yeah, it, it's it's so, a, okay. it's a. I mean, and it's it's. It's a challenging industry right now. Sure. So they're so they're at least their preface or their um, facade is that they're concerned about the state of the comics industry. Well, that's what they'd like to tell you, right? But, but so then what, when yeah. you ask them, then when you ask them, well, why are we having these problems in comics? It's not because of the challenging um, situation that that uh, is is affecting all retail industries right now i mean i I think i've seen in new york right now i think there's something like 20 to 30 percent of storefronts in manhattan are vacant right now uh it's not about the the challenges that every ordinary business faces when it goes up against amazon.com or or barnesandnoble.com or or the challenges of middle class income that we've seen uh in the trump administration and also in the obama administration no 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 no, the reason that the American comics industry is suffering so badly is solely due to social justice warriors. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. This this comes in a lot of ways it comes from a previous alt-right movement that was called Gamersgate which Anytime a woman who was involved in gamers journalism would would get involved, they would they would cry foul there there's and and i'm just going to ask you to google that and, and you can see how much fun that is well people were doxxed and chased out of their homes and i mean I, from what i heard that was a really horrific and it's and, and that same mentality has has moved to comics okay. um the 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 most notable early incident was known as the milkshake incident uh a number of a number of uh, marvel editorial women uh, women that worked in Marvel editorial, most notably a woman named Heather Antos, uh, is a really good editor and is now editing over at Valiant Comics, went to visit, um, oh, I'm going to forget her name. Oh, and I'm, I'm I've, uh, Marie Severin. Um, Marie Severin is, by the way, one of the most groundbreaking women in comics. She was involved in the early EC comics of the 1950s, which were considered groundbreaking in their content and adult approach to horror and science fiction. Um, she was an illustrator on a lot of the early classic Hulk comics. Um, just absolutely, and, and was considered to be one of the nicest women and one nice people that you'd ever run into in comics and a number of these editors went to go uh see her she has she was in ill health um she recently passed away but in 2018 but she was in this was about two three years ago at the time and they went to to pay homage to her and then afterwards they all went and got a milkshake and they took a picture of the milkshake and put it on twitter that sounds relatively innocuous doesn't it that sounds pretty simple Yes. Oh no. <laughs> no. I would the, be wrong. <laughs> the amount of twittering and doxing and harassment that came from these alt-right nincompoops. And if you're listening and you're insulted by that, good. Um just just was horrible. I, so what just, was the what what was the tweet that was what happened with the milkshake? Did they write something specific that triggered them well or or just the fact that they existed just the fact that they existed and i'm actually going to look up um where the i'm actually going to look up some of the comments here just because i I didn't have it in front of me um i think they called themselves the the marvel milkshake crew and this was in july of 2017 
um, some of the comments that came out of this was, can we just get off feminism and social justice and actually print stories? God, DC looks better and better. Uh, another one was, no life experience, the creepiest collection of stereotypical SJWs anyone could possibly imagine. Um, better sign, better, better have her sign a consent form. She looks like the false rape charge type. Oh gosh. All right. Yeah. Thank it, you. <laughs> yeah. And it just, and, and it goes from there. Some of the harassment got so bad that some of these women actually left the comics industry because it just kept going and going and going. Um, and some of these, some of these women made some absolutely fantastic comics. I have a, uh, I have some action figures on my desk, big surprise. And one of them is, is, is some of the characters that they worked on. Um, it just continued and it continues there. Uh, another famous incident was, um, Chelsea Kane, who worked on a Marvel comic book called Mockingbird. And she got harassment because even though she's a very well-known uh, novelist and a very fantastic selling novelist. Uh, she had the character um, Mockingbird uh, wearing a shirt that said, ask me about my feminine agenda or my feminist agenda. I'm sorry. Hmm. Well, as a, as a cover. And so of course, you know, more examples of horrible social justice, you know, warrior mentality. Well, that sounds like sort of a tongue in cheek poke at these people who were yes. trying to, yeah, and it was a fun, cute cover, but right, oh, dear right. God. And yeah, yeah. It, it actually got to the point that she's no longer published by Marvel. She's now publishing um, uh, work on her own through Image Comics. Um, but, she, you know, even though her work sold well, and even though she was, she was asked to work on a prestige project, which was uh, going to involve um, uh, uh, the Vision, who's a prominent... Uh, character in Marvel and the, the Avengers. Um, she's no longer she. The harassment's gotten so bad. She's no longer working at Marvel. Uh, she's now working on a really cool project over an image called Man Eaters, which mm -hmm. is more you know tongue in cheek. Um, she she one of her covers takes a tampon and turns it into a kitty cat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just you just rolling with the punches. Um, so, what is the industry doing? Are individuals or 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 companies doing anything to either make sure that they continue to publish things by women and trans people and you know people of color are there individuals stepping up to not help people as, feel safer what's happening i have to be honest with you not as much as they should um i would like to see, uh, what what we have seen is um we have seen a lot of prominent comic book creators um openly say that they are that they do not back this movement comics gate uh they they are um they they are pretty um adamant that this is not something that they stand for and if you talk to people you know some of the best people that are working in comics they're they're open this is not something that we stand for um the comics industry is only going to succeed if they is if we continue to write com if we continue to create comics for everyone not just mm -hmm. the stereotypical old audience of, of white male fanboys like myself, but mm -hmm. it's also, we have to, we have to grow the industry. We have to grow to uh, different races, different genders, different, different sexuality, everyone coming into comics and having that ability to find the book that they, they uh, identify with. And I wholeheartedly and have always believed in this. Um, I've always, and I used to say this on the guard podcast, when I, you know, left home at the age of 18, I was a rare, I felt a, a fairly sheltered white conservative Christian. And it took a lot of books like uh, a lot of comic exposure to comic books like Love and Rockets and Shade the Changing Man, books that showed me characters uh, of different sexualities, different races, different viewpoints to make me realize that this wasn't the view, the viewpoints I was holding on to weren't accurate. Um, so the idea of seeing the, the idea of trying to tell people that are creating these sort of books, you shouldn't be allowed to create these books because you're just killing the comic book industry to me is ridiculous and stupid. Um, what I, what we haven't seen is a real effort. I mean, I mean, first of all, most of this happens on social media and I don't think I'm giving away the plot of the story when social media does a very poor job 
at uh, policing harassment. Right. Um, I've well, there's a particular artist I I think I gleaned that has been either creating art, uh, creating work that is um, promoting Comicsgate or something Ethan, like that. The most prominent artist involved in this is a guy named Ethan Van Skyver. That's the name. Yep. Ethan Van Skyver uh, is uh, at one point in time was a fairly popular uh, and fairly well-adjusted uh, comic book artist. He worked. He's worked with people like Grant Morrison and Gail Simone and Jeff Johns. He's worked on properties like the X-Men and Green Lantern um, and Batman. I mean, uh, he's had a A-list career, and he's a he's a fairly well, a fairly talented comic book creator. Unfortunately, he's he keeps moving to the right, and he keeps moving towards a model of blaming everything wrong in both comics and his life on social justice warriors. And as a result, has pretty much been shunned by the, the mainstream comics industry. So he decided last year that he was going to crowdfund a comic, uh, Cyberfrog, which was a continuation of stuff he did 20 years ago. I remember when the original Cyberfrog came out, it was, it was pretty much a knockoff of Spawn. Um, there's lots of elements where you go, Hey, that's spawn. Hey, that's spawn. Hey, that's spawn. But Hey, you know, I mean, a lot of comics have that element where, you know, you take another character and you twist it a little bit and now it's original. So, mm -hmm. but any rate, he was very successful in crowdfunding. He raised about $600,000 to create a comic book. He impressive. <laughs> very impressive and yeah. will not knock him for that. He promised it to his followers in November of 2018. On November 30th of 2018, he wrote a post to his followers at 5 p.m. saying, I'm not done drawing one-third of the book. He has yet to seem to make progress on that one-third of the book. He tends to spend his days harassing people that he considers to be social justice warriors. He spends his days making videos about how horrible Star Wars is and how Star the Star Wars franchise, the leadership of the Star Wars franchise is now infested with social justice warriors. He spends his time making YouTube videos, beating up action figures from the Star Wars franchise, women characters from the Star Wars franchise. And there's no other way to say it, basically just being a general pest. Mm. Um, and it's to me, it's it. one of the things that I find concerning is that he now has a group of friends, um, other people who also crowdfunded their their comics efforts, and because they're all tied together, and because they are marketing themselves to people that may be disaffected with their own current economic reality, or may be attracted to the language of the alt right community, they tend to have crowdfunding results that do very well. They haven't hit six hundred thousand, but a couple of them have hit hundred thousand dollars and a little bit more, and. Some of the comics that have come out um, are awful, but uh, and and the rest haven't come out. Um, the same sort of game. The longer you can, and it it has the appearance of a con job. I don't really believe it's intended to be a con job. I believe these guys really do want to come out with their comics, but um, the longer that you can capture your audience and and continue to make you know, crappy YouTube videos about how horrible everything else is and get on social media and harass uh, women and, and people um, the, the, the longer the game in the long run. Um, it's, it's a strange game. Uh, they tend, the, the one thing I found interesting is they will crow about their financial success that they've raised overall. I think it's about two plus million dollars last year to crowdfund comic projects. And that's impressive. Until you go to Kickstarter, and Kickstarter recently released um, a, uh, a press release where they say they they raised the comic book related projects last year raised about sixteen to eighteen million dollars in uh, funds towards comic book related projects on their site, and seventy percent of uh, the projects that were created on Kickstarter succeeded. As the direct market has faced its different challenges and as it's become a little insular and not necessarily as welcome to newer concepts, Kickstarter has become a fantastic avenue 
for uh, for artists who want to create new projects and get their work out there. Mm-hmm. It's a and and this is true in a lot of other things. I'm sure this is true in in music and movies, and we see this continually that that crowdfunding is a great avenue to put your stuff out there. The difference is most of these projects come out and they don't use harassment as a marketing campaign and they actually come out on time and their fans get the books and they're not used with this subtle sort of, you know, agenda of, well, if you back the book, you really get to be part of one of us, people who get to mock people of, of different genders and different sexuality and, and, you know, leftists and all that, you get to be part of us and, and we'll protect you as part of this comic scape movement. Um, it's, it, it's, they, they, they kind of set up this idea of, you know, be one of us and you'll be one of the cool kids. Right. And, and it's just, it's, it's a little, uh, it's a little frustrating. The bigger challenge I have is with a company like Indiegogo. Indiegogo is the sole crowdfunding solution for these comic skate books, mostly because no other platform will have them. Wow. Uh, um, they got kicked off of the other. The other they, main ones. they didn't even get to be kicked off. Kickstarter said, we're not working with you. Mm. Um, Kickstarter has uh, a, a, the person that's in charge of comics outreach at Kickstarter uh, is a fairly, uh, who's a person who really believes in the diversity in comics. Uh, I'm going to forget her name and I feel terrible about that, but she she's very adamant about that. She views part of Kickstarter's mission as to be as wide ranging with all the people that, and, and all the projects that are on her platform. Indiegogo has been, although I don't want to sit there and say every project on Indiegogo has some tie to the alt-right movement, but they have had a lot of projects tied to the alt-right movement. I was um, not aware of that. That's yeah, no. And okay. they they have a very they have they'll have a they have a policy against cyberbullying, but when they were presented with evidence that one of the creators involved uh, was using his Twitter account to cyber bully a woman whose mother had committed suicide by mocking her mother's suicide, which is always a classy act. Their response was, well, he didn't mock her using the Indiegogo platform, so we can't do anything about it. Mm, okay. And that, that really becomes, you know, it's, it's who does, who takes responsibility. So when you ask me the original question, who's actually taking responsibility, there's a lot of individuals, and and the, the the comics pro I can think of who probably does as much as anybody to combat this is a woman named Gail Simone, who is one of the classiest, m- nicest uh, people involved in creating comics you'd ever meet. She was at the, the Camden Comic Con last year, and if you ever get a chance to meet her or buy her books, she's fantastic. Um, really one of the absolute nicest people working in comics and does not brook uh, any mm-hmm. countenance from comics comics gay people she does not tolerate any of their stuff and they will attack her they will mock they will mock women on their weight they will mock women on whether or not their husbands are being intimate with them they will mock all sorts of crap and uh, it's just baloney um, so i guess the thing to do is to put some pressure on indiegogo to deal you know not deal with people like that buy comics by people who are diverse you know and talking about diverse people um, yeah, yeah because and, and not only that buy good com- i mean listen most comic book creators are wonderful people i can tell you one i've been a comics fan now all my life i've never run i've i've run into so few jerk comic book creators most comic book creators are inclusive in the way that they think they celebrate diversity most comic book creators want they just want people to read their comics and, and they want to learn and grow. Um, and they want, they want to, to, to participate in society. There's very few of these guys, but the guys that are there. Yeah. They, they're pretty abysmal, but yeah, I would, I would like to see more, more pressure on Indiegogo with some of these, um, with some of these guys, because if, if Indiegogo is going to decide that they're going to be the exclusive platform for alt-right comics projects that promote their work through harassing people, then I do believe they should pay the economic penalty of not getting to work on uh, more 
uh, enlightened projects. Uh, I do believe that that they really need to be accountable for what they're selling on their website. I would like to to just see. Um, I, I mean, buy good comics. There's there's tons of fantastic comics. I would be I would be uh, remiss if I did not mention one other person who's been absolutely fantastic in um, trying to highlight the the abuses of comics comics gate. Uh, people and that's uh, a woman whose account is renfamous on twitter r-e-n and then famous um she's faced so much harassment doxing they've added where she works they've added who she you know her husband they've added everything about her and she doesn't she doesn't take any guff she just continues to be strong and creative um and i would absolutely look into you know support her twitter stuff she's been great about highlighting uh, great comics out there and and great and and supporting people that are going through this nonsense and absolutely the, she's a, she's just a fantastic person thank you so much that it's you know it's a lot to take in and and there's a lot you mentioned a lot of comics that uh, I know I want to go research and and some of the people and just to stay more aware of this and um, I can really I, appreciate you sharing it can I can I close by recommending you a comic book? Absolutely. Okay, so Image Comic Book has this Image has this fantastic book right now. It's called Crowded. Uh, it is a comic book about a future society where there's an app where uh, a woman, where basically you can hire people anonymously to assassinate people, and this okay. woman ends up being the number one fundraised person, uh, you know, that that to, to be assassinated, and she hires. Uh, a woman to protect her. And it is, I may not be selling it right. It's by Christopher Sabella, Rose Stein, and Ted Brandt. Uh, the first six issues have come out. I believe there's a trade paperback coming out very soon. Uh, it's actually been optioned for uh, movie or TV, and it's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. It's witty. It's smooth. <laughs> um, I absolutely recommend this book. Uh, this this is a book I, I've really deeply uh, enjoyed. Lately. Is it funny? Is it scary? Is it what is it? it? It's, it's an action comedy. I probably okay. put it as best as an action comedy with right. with, a, with a lot of of personal growth. If you want something scary, I don't. But but you but, 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 uh, <laughs> offer it to people who do. <laughs> the current Hulk comic by Marvel Comics. They've tweaked the approach to it where they finally realized that the Hulk cannot die and they put the Hulk through everything. And it's written by a guy named Al Ewing, who's probably one of Marvel's two or three best comic book writers. Um, I, I love his stuff. Uh, really a great, great work. The other book I would actually recommend to people, if you're really interested in Thanos and you know, all the stuff with the Avengers, there's a comic book that just wrapped up. It's its first uh, mini series called cosmic ghost Rider. And if you remember like the black light posters of the seventies, oh, you're yeah. going to like this book. <laughs> this book is just so it, it it's colored in all these crazy colors. It's basically the story of Frank Castle, the Punisher, but they twist it. So he's now the ghost rider, but he's actually the cosmic ghost rider and he's going all across the, the universe and he's friends with that. It's just nuts. And that's what comics should be. That's what comics should be. It's just this enjoy of, you know, it's easy as heck to create a comic book. You only need a really talented writer and a really talented artist or a team of really talented artists. You don't need all the, all the capital investment that you need to make uh, movies. You don't need to buy instruments like you do to make music. It's relatively easy to create a comic book. It's, it's The barrier of entry is low. And that's what I always loved is you can have the craziest ideas and as long as you get a couple people to buy it, it can it can go, you know. I'm not trying to put down mu movie people or mu or musicians. I'm actually trying to learn how to play the bass, and boy, do I suck. <laughs> That's cool. No, I appreciate it, and um, I I'm just saying I don't think it would be easy for me because I suck at drawing. But I guess that's why we have uh, people of different talents all over. <laughs> and yeah. um, but I what? hear you. It, what? It's, um, yeah. Let's, listen, if you're listening to this and you're you're talented and you do anything. Thank you, because because you're making life a lot better for everyone. If you're a musician or you're a writer or you're, you know what, Godspeed to you. 
bless <laughs> bless your heart because guys like me who have no talent at this stuff whatsoever you know the, we're, we're the ones who are reading your stuff and you know and and by the way robin is amazing if you listen to this you have oh, on please. Fire all music, right all right, all right. music <laughs> see this and is you... what we get to do on gar is we get to talk to artists and musicians and writers and promote the heck out of it that was the best thing and Man, you're making me miss having a podcast. And I'm miss I'm missing Glenn arguing with all of your assessments of every comic you've mentioned because he would disagree with you and it would be very entertaining. So you know what? And I think that's a great place to stop because Glenn was a person who didn't like comics or different didn't like the direction in modern comics, but he didn't use it as a reason to harass people. It's right. okay not to like modern comics. You know, it's okay not to like modern tv or modern movies i mean lord knows there's a lot of bad stuff i mean I, I, what's the you know 95 percent of everything is crap and that's okay but you don't use it to denigrate people that are creating comics or marketing comics or selling comics that's the the thing that i i i greatly disagree with with when it comes to comicscape yeah hey it's okay to criticize i mean i was reading a marvel comic the other day i won't mention what it was but i was like boy they keep using medium shots to show the action and i i want them to to really blow the character up and use the power of the character's image to really tell the story and they're not doing it and it's driving me nuts but but see that's where i'd leave it i wouldn't sit there and go well that guy stinks and he's lousy to his wife and you know, there's a boundary right thank you ray this is uh <laughs> been a lot to think about and 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 i'm i'm glad to you know hear about these um the, the challenges in that industry and uh, you know i mean racism and sexism and homophobia it's all it's everywhere um but yeah. the way it manifests in certain places it's um it's good to be aware of and good to you know think about how to be vocal and help change things so i appreciate it thank you thank, thank you very much and best of luck to you with the with the the the, the leftscape uh, i look forward to it every week and and you rock Next week on The Leftscape, we are going to be talking about the history of women's sexuality for Women's History Month. And it's going to be a pretty spicy conversation, so tune in. Hello, this is Robin Renee. You can find me online at robinrenee.com. And my music is on iTunes, CD Baby, Pandora, Spotify, and elsewhere around the web. So check it out. And you can like me at facebook.com slash Robin Renee fan. Tweet at me at Spirit Rock Sexy and follow me on Instagram at Robin Renee Music. I would love to hear from you. Throughout the month, we've been uh, posting some memes about Black history particularly women in black history. And they got us thinking about, we wanna know more about these people and we just wanted to talk about them here. So let me throw the conversation. Which was your favorite and what do you wanna talk about about them? I, I don't know that it, it's like uh, I have a favorite. I, I, found, I found all of the posts that you've been making uh, during February to be really interesting um, on a lot of levels and, and you and I had a, had a bunch of very, you know, we were interested in the same women a lot of times. <laughs> uh, um, but I, I, uh, I in particular really, I did not know anything about Shirley Ann Jackson, for example, until you started posting about her. And then I, I had to go look her up. Um, and you know she's she's living for number one. A lot of the people uh, we read about during Black History Month aren't you know are, are from like centuries past and you know uh, old wars and other things. But uh, Dr. Jackson is uh, still alive. She's currently I think the president of Rensselaer Polytechnic. Um, she was like the first woman of color to get a PhD in, in, uh, theoretical physics for sure. Uh, and actually I think she's the first African-American person to get a PhD in theoretical physics. And she's also, I think like the first woman to graduate with a PhD from MIT. Um, 
and just just reading about her life, uh, had I known who she was when I was a kid, um, I may have done things a little differently because she was studying stuff that I was really interested in in high school and she was making all of these um, uh, advances in the field. And I remember once I got to college, I, I was going to go into physics when I was a freshman. Um, and I found it to be horribly competitive and very difficult. So I ended up, you know, um, just being more of an engineering kind of person. And, you know, and, and so reading about her life, had I, had I seen her, had I had her as a visible role model, I might have followed in her footsteps more than, than I ended up doing. So, so it's a little, it's a little wistful and I'm really, I'm really, um, happy to have discovered her, you know, this, at this point in my life. And, uh, and I, mm. I want to hold her up as a, as a beacon for, you know, women can do this. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that sounds cool. I, I think the, the one that stood out for me this time around, um, when, when various things were popping up was Mary Elizabeth Bowser, which, um, yeah. was hard, hard to find stuff about her. There's not a lot about her, but, um, I thought, why hasn't somebody made a movie of this woman's life? Mary Elizabeth Bowser was a slave. She was born as a slave. And um, when she, she was about five years old, the her owner died, right? Uh, Van Lu was his name. And oddly enough, the, the widow of Mr. Van Lu, uh, she was anti-slavery. So she immediately freed all her slaves. Uh, so her name was Elizabeth Van Lu. So in, in, in a way, it's interesting. The story about Mary, Mary Elizabeth is also about Elizabeth uh, Van Lu. And so she, she freed her slaves, but the, all her slaves stayed on with her. I mean, they were now servant employees, employees and she paid them. So that was kind of nice. Um, but uh, Mary Elizabeth was just five years old, and she said, this girl, uh, Elizabeth, said, this girl is very smart and all. Let's send her to school. And they sent her off to Philadelphia to, um, to a uh, Quaker school. So she was educated. And um, then she came back when the, when the war started. The Civil you know, War. Yes, yeah, Civil War started. Oh, I didn't mention that. Sorry, Civil War. Um, she uh, so she was working as a servant there at 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 the house, a paid servant. However, I don't think that people really knew because there there was a technicality that maybe the wife could not free her slaves or or something. But but they considered them free. But uh, what she did was she, at that time then, uh, Elizabeth Van Loo said to Mary, listen, I have a network of spies and I want you to be one of my spies. And so she became one of the spies and she said, oh, and my friend, Mrs. Jefferson Davis needs a servant in her house. So I'm going to get, put you in there. <laughs> <laughs> so she puts, she's in the Confederate White House. She's a servant and everybody's looking at her and just thinking, oh, it's another slave. And they weren't even looking at her. They were ignoring her. Yeah, she's she part was... of the wallpaper. And they, they're talking about everything right in front of her. And they're, of course, assuming she can't read. And so they're leaving all their papers out right in front of her. And she had like a photographic memory. So she would go around and she would read all the papers. And then the, the bakery man would come in every day. He was part of the network of spies. And she would pass all the information to him, and this really helped the war. And um, it wasn't, it took like about three years for Jefferson Davis to realize there was a leak somewhere. And so by that time, she set 
his house on fire and she ran away. <laughs> Holy crap. Uh, I did not know and, any of this. And also, really what, wasn't she using the pseudonym, the last name Bond? Well, that one source said that she was <laughs> using that. I didn't find that in other sources. I read okay. a few you were, you were doing some really, some real fact checking and not just yeah. reading that one caption under the picture. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> I found that it used a pseudonym Ricarda Richards. Okay. No, um, but uh, but that would have been nice if she was Bond, Ellen Bond. <laughs> <laughs> but the the thing is, is it's very sketchy what we have about her, mainly because after the war, the federal government destroyed anything about anybody who was a spy, well, so yeah. that there weren't repercussions for right. him. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So so that makes sense. Uh, however, there is enough factual knowledge that the U.S. Army, um, their intelligence um, agency, has a Hall of Fame, and they named her to the Hall of Fame. So she is official. I don't doubt it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And I, I really... Wouldn't it make a good movie, though? It would make an amazing movie, and, and uh, you should write the screenplay. Uh-uh. There you go. Challenge. <laughs> Challenge for <laughs> down. Well, the the one that really struck me that you posted, Mary, it doesn't have quite the uh, quite the importance, I suppose, over in the grand scheme of things. But I am a huge tennis fan, and I was really intrigued to read about Margaret and Matilda Matilda Peters. And uh, it says Deca- decades before Venus and Serena Williams overpowered the sport of tennis, two other talented African American women changed the face of women's tennis. Margaret and Matilda Peters, affectionately known as Pete and Repeat. (laughs) (laughs) Which I've heard Pete and Repeat a a lot, but I wonder if it actually originates from them because I've heard it a lot. So it's kind of interesting um, sort of little fact, I suppose. Um, (laughs) And the Peters made history with their doubles record from the 1930s to the 1950s. And I wonder if it's because they were doubles players that I didn't necessarily hear about them. It's not talked Mm. about quite as much. Um, The person that, that I know, you know, that I think of as the woman who really broke through in tennis for African-Americans is Althea Gibson. Mm-hmm. And she won, I believe she won the French championship in 1956. And she was the first African-American to win a Grand Slam title. Oh, so cool. she's the person I always heard about as sort of breaking the color line in tennis. So I was so, glad to... But so Pete and repeat didn't didn't play in those things? I, I mean, how far did they get? That I'm not sure, but I know that they were not title winners, I suppose, in the, the championships, but they played a lot and were, were well-known. Um, hmm, that would be a good one. They made history with their doubles records, so oh, well, I can check that. Yeah, yeah but doubles, doubles and single is, tennis is really what gets more noticed, I guess, even yeah, it's, not, it's less prestigious, I guess. Yeah, somehow. You have to share the cup with somebody else. I, <laughs> well, you can also play a lot longer as a doubles player. I think as a singles champion, it's it's the harder game in some ways. So. Well, yeah. Have, have, the Williams, have the Williamses ever played doubles? Yeah, they play doubles sometimes. Um, yeah. But... You know, obviously, they they also have their their own career as well. But anyway, it was a cool cool fact to know. So thank you for that. Cool. And I'd I'd also like to bring up um, Paulie Murphy, and I'm not sure if she has a, a doctor in front of her name or not. Um, she's a a lawyer. She was a lawyer, and she did a lot of the um, the preliminary work uh, that. Ruth Bader Ginsburg ended up using, and I think oh, yeah. she included Ruth Bader Ginsburg included Pauli Murray in in the uh, in that um, landmark she, case. Uh, she credited her like co co writer. Yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. it was she. Yeah, I think she was the one who came up with using the civil rights cases to also, you know, to as the same strategy to get women's rights. And um, and she's not mentioned a lot. I mean, it's also you know she's not on the Supreme Court, 
and she doesn't have the uh, the current popularity that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is enjoying. And uh, I just want to throw her name out there too, because and, and it's it's also good to remember that these that people that none of this stuff gets done in a vacuum or by one person. It's always it's always a group of people working together and building on each other's work that that finally gets us over over the the hump or over the wall if you mm-hmm. if you like that metaphor better um, or to tear down the wall or <laughs> or removing removing the barriers uh, for equality for everybody. Um, so Paulie Murray, thank you very much for all of your help with things. Mm-hmm. Um, can I add something? Yeah, sure. To, uh, well, this is going to be a break, right? So, yeah. Okay. Um, Mary asked me this question I didn't know the answer to, but okay. Um, the Peter sisters played in the American Tennis Association, which was a league formed to give African Americans a chance to play competitive tennis at a national level. So that's really what they did. They were they were well known, and they were in the African American League at the time. Yeah, so, that's when everything was still segregated. Right, so it was still segregated. So I guess that's why Athea Gibson is known as the the person who broke the color line when she won in France. So that's the difference there. Yeah, so that's good. To, but she can do that in France. Yeah, well, so it's good to France, look back and. Yeah, France doesn't care what color you are as long as you speak French. As long as you speak French, speak French, and and kind of give up your native culture and embrace the French culture, and then they love you. So <laughs> that sounds like another problem. show. <laughs> it, it's it's like equality, but there's problems with it too. You know. Yeah. Mm. You've been listening to the Leftscape podcast. Find us online at leftscape.com on Twitter at Leftscape, and on Facebook at Leftscape. The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. New episodes every Wednesday.